This is who you know. Today, uh, I bring you a conversation with Matt Daly. Uh, Matt and I met in uh, the late 90s, uh, working first at Thai Lagoon and then at Bite Cafe, both in Chicago and Wicker Park. We talk about his journey uh, through music, art, and uh, into starting one of the most successful craft fairs uh, in the whole country. Enjoy. Well, we got it. I think we're here. Oh yeah, we are here. So, how's how's your day so far? Uh, it's been uh, pretty good. Just you know, working on getting ready for Renegade Chicago. Right, you got the. That's that's the that's the big one. That's the big one. It's coming up in less well less than three weeks maybe. Yeah. The one that started it all, huh? <laughs> it is. It is. Uh, it's you know, it's our nineteenth one. Jesus so Christ! I was just about to ask how long it's been going. Yeah, next year is Renegade's twentieth anniversary. Wow, which is insane. It's a, it's it's already old enough to fight in in wars. <laughs> yeah, and you know, almost old. Renegade's almost old enough to drink booze. Legally, yeah. Yeah. In Europe, it could have had a beer for the last few years, but... You know, but we can't be that lucky. No. <laughs> <laughs> how, how, did this, how did it all start, anyways? The Renegade? The oh, Renegade was... Uh, my wife, Susie, started it with a friend in, like, 2003, and they were just looking for a place to sell their work when, you know, and, like, the only events that happened in Chicago at that time were like the uptown or the art fair, 57th street art fair, like kind of like these classic old art fairs or these sort of like really kind of like highfalutin craft fairs that were just sort of like the same circuit of, I think, vendors who've been doing them forever. And it was just not kind of like the particularly modern thing. So they were just like, what the hell? Why don't we just do an event? Right, and and where was the first one? Where where was her first event? It was Wicker Park. Um, it was in Wicker Park. In the park. In the, in the grass of the park. Mm. Like they just had vendors all around that, and I think our first two years were there. Like the first year was only a one day event, and then the second year was a two day event just because it was popular. And it turned out that like we knew Amy Schroeder from Venus Magazine. Remember that. Uh, Vaguely, that sounds familiar, but yeah, so... Venus was like a kind of like a woman-focused kind of music, culture, arts magazine. Oh, with it, with a name like Venus, I would have per, I would have thought it was just just about men. <laughs> <laughs> Naturally, <laughs> so. <laughs> It's <laughs> No, I do vaguely. It sounds super familiar as a magazine. But that was name. like at the time. It was at the time like a pretty national magazine. And they like just agreed to help them do a call to call out to artists. So it just turned out that all these people like ended up traveling into Chicago to do mm. it randomly. So that that's kind of how it started. So how many people were at the first one? Would you say seventy-five different vendors? Wow. Oh, so it was big, right? Right from the start, 
I mean, it was I not... I mean, it was bigger. I think it was much bigger than they had anticipated. You know, the interest in it was much bigger. Um, and that's why, you know, that's kind of why they ended up just like, well, I guess we should do it again. And then the next year was two days. And then... Um, so you're saying... Yeah. Point. 2003, so would you have been... Uh, you were, you were st- still do- working a lot on uh, posters? Or were you... Yeah, I was working um, for Jay Ryan at the time, screen printing, and um, I had kind of just started, well, 2000, this was probably 2000, yeah, I guess it was 2003. Like, I had produced a a fair number of posters at that point, but I didn't, you know, I wasn't at the point where I was like, regular getting cool jobs, so uh, that is how I got involved with Renegade, was that I got hired to design and print their first poster for the event ah okay yeah i I still have a bunch of your posters i have somewhere i've moved a couple of times but uh i used to always have the uh the the lungfish one up that's one of my favorite ones yeah that was a good one i i know i have it in the flat file somewhere hey yeah uh, we have we have a friend the barking that's okay we have a friend yeah another lungfish fan i see you know piping up from from the he he loves the fish but he's like you know he's like daniel higgs solo work he's like i just can't get into it i just love yeah that juice harp shit no it's gotta go (laughs) (laughs) i mean it's really not good you know it's just sort of like well yeah you could put out one of these records or you could could also not the pupils were really good though i enjoyed that yeah he's got he's doing some i forget he doesn't he have a he's doing something with his partner wife whatever there's some some kind of daniel higgs musical thing musical thing oh i I forget what it's called he's interested yeah i I could swear there was but i've totally lost track I wish, I wish someone would do a lungfish cover band, you know, playing hemp, like Halloween at the Empty Bottle or something like that. Mm. A lungfish tribute. Somebody was talking about that. Maybe, maybe Tim Kinsella. Somebody, I think somebody at some point was doing some kind of, or like like a night of like all their favorite, you know, bands like Lungfish. <laughs> Yeah, it's like I would love for just, you know, some band to get together just to do a Lungfish sing-along concert. So <laughs> it would be so fun. When, well, you know, when we're all in the old folks' home, we'll have that's you know, what it, some nice young that's people sad. bring bring in like a, a a karaoke machine and we'll we'll sing Lungfish songs together. Oh, man, that is the sad, <laughs> that's the sad reality of what that's going to be. <laughs> it's it's sooner rather than later too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, my dad just said, you know. So how soon? Uh, how may, How soon did you get more involved in it? Like, aside from uh, doing the poster, you like got hands on oh, pretty quickly, uh, or? Well, Susie hired me to do the poster, and then I think within like we had sort of had sort of like a crush on one another for some time and I was working Oh, you weren't together yet. Oh, okay. Uh, no, it was before we were together. We ended up getting together like uh, kind of after 
Oh. After that job happened, and uh, you know, at a certain point, she started working at the Empty Bottle and at Bite, and like we ended up um, getting together like 2004. Um, oh, okay. But, like, so I I participated with Jay Ryan like at we had a booth at the first craft fair. Mm. Um, so I was at that one, and I made the poster for it, and then the next year like I was kind of like more involved kind of like not doing any of the thought work or organization but just sort of like helping out the day days of and carrying stuff and like grabbing coffee and like running around um so like I participated kind of like so I was kind of part of the crew that would produce the events Mm -hmm. um you know and in 2005 um Susie had gone to Brooklyn and saw a park that was like, you know, kind of like a big version of uh, Wicker Park. And she's like, oh, wow, maybe we could do it here. Mm-hmm. And so, like, we had our first Brooklyn event in 2005. And then, so it was, you know, and then we were having like three Chicago events or, you know, kind of two Chicago events. So it's sort of like I was there behind the scenes, kind of like from the beginning and was mostly like involved. Like, I would have an artist booth and sell prints and sell all kinds of different, you know, you know, versions of either posters or art prints or, um, probably until like 2012, mm-hmm. I think. So I, you know, and the fair had expanded at that point to like LA and San Francisco and Austin. And we had like two New York events. And so it kind of grown to be sort of like that, kind of took over the, the um, sorry about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> does this spice up the talk show or does this... yeah i, th- I think th- i think this is, it, it adds to the the excitement yeah for okay. sure <laughs> you know i'm gonna have to clip i'll clean his clock i swear disagrees disagrees it's a hard it's a hard no from jasper <laughs> um, so yeah, I get like I was I was definitely part of like the the crew for a long time, but at the same time I was still working for Jay until about 2007. Okay. And then I kind of had started left the Bird Machine and kind of started my own studio where I was uh, you know doing printing for other artists and as well as my own work. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I you know that was kind of my main focus i you know quit working at restaurants thankfully and (laughs) um which is fucking miserable as you know did you work at other places after bite or no no bite was the 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 bitter end of my ability to work in service (laughs) or in food service let's put it that way i guess i feel like with with renegade i still well yeah you're you're in a different kind of service yeah for sure you're so still grabbing coffee. <laughs> I'm well. You know, I was beneficial. I was a beneficiary of your grabbing coffee just a couple of months yeah, ago. Yeah, <laughs> you know what? Well, I mean, I like to do what I can. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I think that what so what happened was I, you know, I I had started my own studio, but it was like also 2008. Yeah. And the Great Recession happened, and like essentially, like with the exception of like some kind of like cool jobs here and there and then a couple of poster offer you know there was just not very much work to get yeah and 
it slowed down so much and at a certain point like you know uh susie and i were like married and like i was helping you know i was helping all this all these different ways kind of behind the scenes with the business um but i wasn't i wasn't getting a paycheck and i wasn't also like um an official role like i didn't have an official mm-hmm. role so I, um kind of at that point what they needed was someone to take over their sponsorship coordination so i started with that because it was like you know they were doing we were doing fairs all over the country but at the same time like an event the size of renegade should be getting like sponsorship to help like keep it free yeah and, like keep artist fees down as much as we were able to so i started working on that and that's kind of how i got involved uh, more officially but like since the pandemic happened like Essentially, everyone, you know, we went from a staff of 18, and we were doing, like, 25 events a year mm-hmm. uh, all over the place. I think we were in 12 cities, and then the pandemic happened, and we had to, like, you know, unfortunately lose, like, two-thirds of our staff and right. uh, cut, you know, half of the cities that we were in. Uh, mm. But now, like, every, everyone, so now we're a team of seven people, and everyone has, like, kind of three, wears multiple hats. So, like, I do anything from, like, just kind of, like, managing the back end of the business and some of the bookkeeping and, like, insurance and, like, state registrations and paying bills. You know, it's, like, so I'm kind of doing a lot of, like, more nuts and bolts stuff um, as well as sort of, like, working with business development and kind of, like, if we're going to partner with, like, a music festival, like, meeting with those people and kind of figuring out opportunities for us to do stuff that sort of works for the way shit is now yeah um so that's kind of like my i've always been kind of like a behind the scenes person um whereas like Susie is like the you know she's the creative director of the business and is like yeah. involved and has her hands in like every single aspect of like how everything looks and everything works and like everything's communicated and stuff like that so i kind of just like keep keep the background running which is kind of great for me yeah it was kind of funny. At, at a certain point, I saw her walking around taking photographs, and I uh, at at the pitchfork one, and my neighbor who was the was making buttons, and I was like, he had some friends hanging out, and it's like, do you see that lady? That's who started all this. <laughs> yeah, that's the other thing. She's you know she uh, like we don't have a photographer anymore. You know. Oh, so, oh, so she's got to do it for yeah. She's, you know, she's got, she's got a great eye and like, you know, has been taking a photography course and was just like, yeah, I can do it. And like, we'll take turns kind of like we bought like a decent camera and we're just like, all right, well, maybe we can just take these photos ourselves. And it turns out they're, they're not easy to take like uh, in all the different situations that I bet have to take photos. It's a lot of low light or bright light. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, you, you didn't move to Chicago originally to do this. This wasn't, this wasn't the first dream, correct? No, I mean, this is something that I kind of fell into, uh, most naturally, which, you know, I moved to Chicago to start a band. Right. 1999. From Pittsburgh, was it? From Pittsburgh, yeah. And and did did you grow up in Pittsburgh? I don't remember if, if I knew that or not. Are you from there? Uh yeah. 
Yeah, I, I grew up in Pittsburgh, and then I also went to college at CMU in Pittsburgh. Mm. Um, so I was there until, yeah, 90, 99, August 99 is when I moved to Chicago. Right, uh, and it was like a whole crew of you guys. Pit, there's a whole Pittsburgh a whole contingent. Crew. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, like, the, the Pittsburgh music scene in the 90s was, like, so, you know, it was like we had... Pittsburgh has always been like a big touch and go crowd and like mm -hmm. a big Chicago, you know, big Chicago music kind of like, uh, it was, I feel like the music cultures that, you know, it was like a very DC, New York, Chicago influence, but like the touch and go influence, especially yeah. like in early nineties, like touch and go signed Don Caballero, who were kind of like all in the same neighborhood as us. So it was, yeah, we, you know, it was like at that point in the, I had, you know, Hurl had been playing, and so, like, we played The Empty Bottle for the first time in, like, 1994, mm. um, and had, had essentially, like, it's, you know, so many people from Pittsburgh had moved to Chicago by the time that we had, that it seemed like, one, like, A, there was, like, tons of awesome, you know, it was very, like, hot, not hot, which is a ridiculous thing to say, <laughs> it was, like, the, the fucking, you know, I said I yep. said that, but, you know, I feel embarrassed about it. That's <laughs> um, okay. It was like, no, it was like <laughs> Chicago was fucking way cooler. Like, essentially, like, Pittsburgh had really gotten kind of dried up, and, like, it was gotten to be, like, a much smaller town, and um, the Hurl, my band, had broken up. Hold on one second. Yep. This fucking dog thing. It's driving me nuts. <laughs> of course. Of course. He's freaking out the whole time I'm on this. I'm like, I'm, I'm going to do an interview, um, uh, little dog. Uh, please, well, he, he, please accommodate he, my needs. He, he feels left out. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Yeah, I just I just posted one of these with, uh, with uh, Brian Case, and he has a very similar story of moving to St. Louis and following a couple of friends to play in a band, you know, be, and... It it and uh, things like touch and go being like a big uh, attraction, you know, and yeah, and, and we being into that DC thing. music, so it, it was like this similar kind of triangle of you know influences and interests, you know. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Like Chicago had always just been like a home away from home for us as a band. Like it was like one of the only cities that we could go to and play a good show to a lot of people. And I think it had a lot to do with uh, John Solomon who ran our record label that was My Pal God Records. Right. He was booking it. He was booking the Empty Bottle a lot like during the 90s. So I think like, mm. he probably got us some good shows. Like, yeah. you know, like we played all these big sort of like uh, shows we shouldn't have probably been able to play, but we did. <laughs> um, but but it was like we could go to the empty bottle and be like assuredly we would be like that was like the best show of the tour uh by far yeah you know because otherwise you're playing in like a lecture hall at some university with uh, 15 people there mm -hmm. something like that and you said uh so you said uh hurl had broken up already by the time you moved here or or yeah we broke up in uh, like in 1998, Noah, our drummer, um, moved with his girlfriend to Austin, Texas. Oh. I think like we were we were essentially like uh, I was like 23, 24. Like we've been in Pittsburgh our whole lives. Like 
you know, had just like kind of were getting tired of like the, you know, it just got very small feeling. And then also like the, everyone kind of started leaving. There wasn't really much going on. I think Pittsburgh now is like a little bit more, um, has a lot more going on perhaps. Um, mm-hmm. But at that point it was just like, it was dead, like a dead zone. We were just like, oh God. Um, so it just made sense to come here. And it, in that band, it was you and Noah and Matt was in that band, Jensik? Matt, Matt Jensik and I started the band in high school. Oh, okay. Um, and then we originally had a, a different drummer. Um, and then we added a second guitar player named Dan Wilson. And then we started playing with Noah, who, you know, we moved. It was kind of at that point where we'd moved. We were from the suburbs. We moved you know, to downtown Pittsburgh and we're kind of like living in the same neighborhood as Noah who had been in like a bunch of other bands mm-hmm. and asked him to play. And so like, that was like then the final iteration of that band. Yeah. So like 2000, no, I'm sorry, uh, 1998, like <laughs> Noah moved to Texas and then Matt, and then he was there for about a year and I think I finished college right around then. And then, uh, he was like, we're going to move to Chicago because they didn't like Texas. So we were just like, oh, we'll move to Chicago to start a new band. And that's how Taking Pictures started. What, did, what were you going to uh, school for? Art or? Um, I No. I mean, sort of at the end. But like I went to... I went to Syracuse University for a year oh. uh, with, like, no real major. Like, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Mm. Um, and then I transferred back to Carnegie Mellon because, essentially, like, I wanted to play in Hurl. Mm. Um, more, more than anything else, it wasn't really an academic decision. It was just sort of like, no, I'm going to go back and play music as well. Yeah. Um, and then, let's see. Uh, where am I? So back in you moved back to you moved back to play, play in Hurl and oh yeah I moved back from Syracuse. Yeah, and oh yeah college. So I I didn't really know what I wanted to do, um, but I when I got to CMU in Pittsburgh I started doing uh, I started a creative writing degree, Mm. which I kind of felt like I you know was a medium at the time that I was kind of like, I don't know, capable of doing and interested in, but it's just like, you know, I basically did a degree in creative writing and studied, you know, poetry and literature and did like, you know, fiction workshops and poetry workshops and stuff like that. And I kind of got to the point where I'd finished my degree, but I still had like a year and a half worth of credits or electives that I had to take. Mm. Um, and I, you know, it's like, it was a good learning experience but like i think i learned through doing that degree that i'm just like this isn't what I, i'm not a i'm not a writer i'm not like a poet i'm not a, i'm not yeah a, i'm never gonna write it i'm never gonna write a novel unlike you um <laughs> you know i i just started reading all hack i'm like so into it so oh thanks uh, yeah no i have i have the stack of books i got from you on my desk yeah you guys went on like a spree you got all of them <laughs> Well, I, they're, they're fucking cool. I mean, I even think they're visually cool looking just like the small size of them and like whatever. Well, it's a big part of it. You know, it is. I know, I know from a person who makes bookshelf paintings that you're 
paying attention. And there's there's a direct reason, or the, there's an in, intention to the way that you made your books look for some reason. I think. Oh yeah. No, I mean the it's it's an aesthetic object as much as anything else. I mean, you know, I, I always joke it's it's basically like a it's a multi-page print with some words added into it. You know. Yeah, it's a great read, though. Great. Thank you. I'm, yeah, I'm digressing. Let's say I'm talking about college. Oh, so I had all these electives to take, and I was like, uh, this, this show is all about dig. This is tangents and digressions. That's it's just a, that's what I live for. <laughs> so I don't. Oh, okay. There's no oh, yeah, agenda, we'll, really. <laughs> we'll go there. Uh, so what else? So I'm in college, and I ended up taking a printmaking class. Oh. Uh, just because, like, someone I was friends with was like, I'm going to take this advanced lithography class. And I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to take an advanced lithography class, having had no art core or anything like that. And, and I'd done some, you know, terrible art, I'm sure, in high school. But, like, I... Uh, so I took this class, and I ended up meeting this teacher uh, named Pat Bellingillen, who was, like, the, you know just like had been there for a really long time and it just had like this kind of like upper level like i was taking a class with seniors who mm-hmm. were like doing their final projects and things like that and i just sort of got you know i had just sort of like dove into the work and like started like thinking about visual work for the first time like kind of i i mean it's hard to say seriously but it was like the first time that i've been like okay i have i have to create something that i like think is good in like a what to me at the time was a perfect, not professional, but a, a more sophisticated art audience than whatever. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I started to kind of like dove into that. And I think that this teacher just saw that I was like kind of uh, willing to, you know, I just to start doing a lot of experimentation with marking and stuff like that. I made a bunch of prints that she ended up just giving me a bunch of materials. She's like, here, mm. here's some gigantic, like, you know, th- four by five foot litho plates like just go crazy and stuff that like other people were having to purchase she ended up just like giving me just to like be encouraging i think which yeah i don't know i i I just feel like i just got really lucky it's one of those teachers that that change your life yeah by being themselves you know just like you're just like such a you're such an encouraging welcoming kind of like uh inspiring sort of like free thought person that you Mm -hmm. end up like you get so much out of a person like that that you can't ever repay. Yeah. Um, So I took a lot of art classes from, like I basically just took classes, you know, I took some more printmaking, I took photography classes, some, and then this, this professor actually ended up just giving me her personal studio on campus for, I think a, a couple of years, you know, I had, so I had like a private studio on campus that I would like work in, um, so like my last year and a half of college was was a lot of just sort of like art experimentation and kind of like printmaking, you know, getting to learn like how to use a litho press and do all that. Um, I had actually never done any screen printing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that all ended, you know. So Hurl's ending around 1998. Um, we had intersected with Jay Ryan of the Bird Machine and who was also in the band Dianoga who Hurl had toured with. Mm. So we kind of had, we met him that way and um, basically when I was moving to Chicago to start making music 
um, I reached out to him and said like, hey, like, would you ever, you know, want an assistant or mm-hmm. anything like that? Because um, he had he had done the he designed a poster for the for Hurl's last show, and mm-hmm. like I think for one of our record releases, um, kind of late in the you know, late in our career, yeah, or something like that. So um, and it just so happened that he did need help. So that's how. So I moved to Chicago to play music and ended up starting at Jay's like before he had had you know what we were working out of his basement mm-hmm. so that's how it all started you mean you, you didn't move to chicago to work at ty lagoon no I, <laughs> I, well I, you know i but like i uh you know there were good and bad things about working at ty lagoon the bad things being it's delivering food or waiting tables which are just both awful things that i hate um, so what were the good parts <laughs> I mean, some of the, the people there were nice. At the time, like, there were some good people who worked there. Um, and I remember having having fun, but, you know, in the end, it was just like a... Yeah, we inter- Yeah, you started there towards the end of my run at that place. And I'd been there for a yeah. couple of years. And, yeah, I was kind of fed up with those people, but... <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's, I get it. Uh, and then we both worked at Byte, but you stayed at Byte a, a lot longer than I did. <laughs> yeah, you... You, I think I was at Byte for like three years. Yeah, I was only there. It was a year. like I think, yeah, it, it was a lot. Um, but at the, you know, it was such a you know when I think about it, it's so weird. You know, like working at at Byte Cafe, this tiny restaurant that only had <laughs> the non-smoking section was only three tables long. Yeah, yeah. The rest of the restaurant was like all smoking, and then like all the people who worked there smoked constantly. Yep. <laughs> it was hilarious. Including. Including me, it was fucking hilarious. I was, and then like the kitchen and the the rats and like the everything. I was just like, oh my god, what a place! Um, yeah. But again, I met some really awesome people. I yeah, mean, you could like you, on some random you night, you could uh, you could wait on John Doe, you know, or like somebody like somebody playing some exactly. random show next door, you know. Yeah, or I just like would go to the bottle after work just to see what was happening and like ended up seeing some like random great shit so you know it was it was good like i you know i i it was good at the time but i was just like at the like at the end of my tenure working there i was just like i think i only had like one shift a week and i would like for week after week after week i would just give it away to somebody else Mm. (laughs) and they they were finally just like do you do you really just not want to work here and i was like yeah i guess (laughs) but i was like i was like i'm just gonna go down to one day a week uh, I can't even bear. I can't even bear the thought. I can't bear the thought of doing it. There's no way. And so yeah, I'm so glad that I left. But it was, you know, I, again, you know, working there, you meet so many cool people and so many terrible people. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. I. I mean, yeah. I think. I think it's valuable, uh, especially. I mean, like when you know, I've met so many people that have never worked in a restaurant or the service industry. And there's a bunch of skills or like weight etiquette things that they just don't have. They don't oh understand. God, yeah. They don't an- understand how to behave themselves in those places because they've never yeah. been on the other side of it. You I know? feel very, very. I'm so empathetic. Yeah. yeah. I'm like a very. I'm a fucking good customer now. Of course. Um, like you know, I'm never. You know, I, I just yeah. You're right. You're absolutely right. When people haven't, you know, the only people who are acting up in restaurants are either people who have worked in restaurants but they're psychopaths. Yeah. Or 
they're people <laughs> they're people who haven't and they're probably psychopaths too yeah but yeah at this point yeah i mean basically if i go out to eat you you almost have to take a leak in my food in front of me for me not to tip you you know like you yeah, have to really fuck up like... you know <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I was picking the scab and it yeah. just fell into your yeah. food. Is it a monkeypox scab? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. It could be. It could be. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a it's definitely a valuable life lesson and, and for, for, for people. <laughs> I'm terrible. Ter- I mean, like, I've literally, I've found, like, you know, I've found a hair in my food and I was just like, they didn't mean to do that. Right, yeah. <laughs> It's it's. I worked at restaurants. That shit happens. It's, they're not trying to do that on purpose. Uh, I don't know. I think on balance, that's a better way to be than the other way. <laughs> you know? Yeah, you know, you don't want to make someone want to spit in your food. Yeah, I know because yeah, if you send that food back, you know, unless it's really wrong, then you know. <laughs> so so it's that's interesting. So the like the printmaking, the art, kind of kind of blocked out the writing, huh? Or took the place of as a uh, thing? Well, it was, it became, I think a, it was that, oh, you know, I had a semi kind of like epiphany at that point where it's like I'd been in college. I'd kind of like done a fairly academic literature-based, you know, workshop-based mm-hmm. curriculum for the first several years. And then I, but I never felt like I was, uh, I was that connected to it. I was like, I was like, oh, I'm just doing these fucking assignments because I have to get like X amount of poems written for the workshop or something like that. And I so you're just doing homework. Just, yeah, I was doing homework, and I wasn't. I didn't feel like anything that I was writing or doing was like really. I mean, it was all. I'm sure terrible. I mean, it was terrible, but like it, you know. It, but even in its terribleness, it had no like. I wasn't like, yeah, that was a good one at any point. Yeah. Um, so, but then, like, it was weird that I, you know, I started in this class and started just doing like art experimentation and like just, you know, a lot of probably terrible stuff too. But like, then I had a few breakthroughs of like having the first time that a visual thing that I had worked on, regardless, I think this was the epiphany, regardless of whether or not it, it, I thought it was really good, I did, felt finished. Mm. And I was like, okay, that doesn't, that is what it is. You know, yeah. and it's sort of like that, that was a particularly like interesting beginning of like cognitive thought of like, if I could finish a, a creative thought and move on to something else, mm-hmm. that is, that is part of like where it's like, oh, I feel like I'm actually getting across what I need to say, you know, regard, I can tell at a certain point, regardless of if it's great or things didn't work out that I wanted or it really is a piece of shit, like, I'm sort of like, well, it doesn't need anything else, so I can just put it away and move on to something else. Did you have that feeling with music, that same kind of feeling, or no? Was that, that, oh, is yeah. that totally I mean, different? Like music, yeah. music is, it, you know, it was such a, for me, you know, I, I started just playing, you know, I played, I started playing guitar when I was like 13, mm. and just like, there were a lot of people in kind of like, in my high school that were in bands and stuff like that and I, I knew that I always wanted to be in a band and like there was like this local scene of like people would have shows at VFWs with like kind of some Pittsburgh bands that were like you know metal or thrash was really it was like 1988 1987 um, and so we would just go to see anything that we could see you know um, you know it 
just was a normal part of like you know my I was like a skater mm. like wanted to play in a band made played in some really stupid bands in my <laughs> basement and they're just terrible but uh, do you remember any of the names of these bands uh <laughs> well there no there was only really one that had an actual name um there was a really stupid name um because it was like a joke band, yeah. a joke metal band that was uh we were you know i was like i had a metal phase in like ninth tenth grade mm-hmm. and like was really just into like slayer and like kind of samhain and sludgy yeah. kind of like that kind of shit and uh but yeah we had this terrible band that lasted about a week called the um honey roasted peanuts the and, what uh, the honey roasted peanuts you know the honey roasted like, peanuts <laughs> it was a joke because the band was so bad we were like it's called that because you know we never did more than like two practices <laughs> uh, but I, I didn't have a, i didn't have a real band like there were other bands that played that were from kids in my high school that i was just like man that band is amazing you know yeah. just that they like could could write a song and like be you know be something um but like i guess in 11th grade i hooked up with matt jensik who had been in a band called toxic doom which was kind of a thrash metal band Mm. and uh so he had actually been you know he was like had written you know worked on writing songs and like we started playing together and it just was like the first time that i was just like i felt like we were making something interesting and it was really uh you know it was the other part of of hurl and like my most of my up until now most of my musical experiences have just been these like really intense collaborative uh group writing yeah um experiences where you just like practice like five days a week and just like keep coming up with new stuff and Mm. eventually songs come out of it so it's like that was the first time that i just became really obsessed with that and sort of like you know just that was my i guess foray into music but and then I felt like I got extraordinarily lucky just to, you know, meet Matt because mm-hmm. he's insanely talented. And like then to get to play with like Dan and Noah and the other people in the band was just like kind of a, like we were. I just feel like everyone was kind of going for it at a pretty high level for like nineteen or twenty year olds or whatever. So it it was a it was a really like it made the you know sort of like punk or music as the it's the uh, it's your art project. It's like, it's art, you know, if you think of it as like art rock or something, it's sort of, it's not like, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Like, it's not like we're just, we're making political punk or we're making this. It's just sort of like, this is our sort of like, you know, art project that was like the biggest part of my life for, I guess, all of the 90s. Um, yeah, because like, like, did her last a decade or close to a decade or? We were, we started in 91. Okay. And then we, ended in 98 we so, yeah. last record out. okay that's a it's a it's a that's a good good long time for for people for young people you know oh yeah and we put out we put out three lps and yeah. like an ep and a bunch of singles and to, did some we didn't do a lot of touring but like we did a decent amount of touring um you know it was it was fucking awesome i love pearl yeah and who was in so when then then after you you and noah and matt were all in chicago is that when taking pictures started or yeah we we matt and i like 
kind of after Earl had broken up, we were living in the same house in Pittsburgh, and so we would we had started writing some songs and working on some songs together, just the two of us in the basement. Um, you know, he had played bass in Earl, but then he was writing songs on guitar, and so we were doing kind of like a two guitar thing, mm-hmm. and that's how taking pictures started. And it was interesting. We moved together in '99 and met up with Noah, but then we were like, oh, we need to find a bass player, so we. Um, we started playing with Craig McCaffrey, who'd been in the band Paul Newman, and I think another band. Um, but he had recently just moved to Chicago too, so we were at this four-piece band, and we wrote, you know, a whole album's worth of songs um, as a four-piece, mm-hmm. and played. You know, I think we did a tour with the Shipping News as that outfit, like a short tour. Um, and then we, we went and we made a record with, we, did, we didn't make a record, we made a recording of all these <laughs> songs and it was just sort of like, at that, it was time, it was just sort of like, something's not working. Yeah. You know, it's like, that something isn't right about it. And so we kind of, uh, I think we asked Craig to leave and then Matt switched back to bass and we became the three piece at that point and just stitched the entire catalog of songs we'd written so far which was like a shame Mm. um but it would just like it just wasn't working out and they were just like they were just too uh too something it was too fraught or too too like uh it didn't feel like loose and kind of like the way that we'd wanted to play so i don't know we just started kind of like improvising together until we, we developed what ended up being like that band sound and how long did how long did that one go? That was like, I think that we probably you know we we technically started in nineteen ninety nine like mm-hmm. fall fall winter ninety nine and we broke up in two thousand five. Oh okay. And so during that time, like we did some touring, we released one album called Friends or Ghosts on Mike Pal God Records, and then we had written and recorded um a whole other record that you know we had kind of barely just finished and we i think maybe that record killed the band oh yeah you know it was like we i think we were working on it for we did the recording at with um jason ward at the key club in benton harbor and we did all like the instrumental work and stuff but then we were like working on vocals for like two years or something it was some you know it just i felt like we worked on it forever and ever and ever uh-huh. and then at the same time we were like you know also making music that like a lot of record labels didn't really give a shit about so like we couldn't find anyone to put it out we'd spend all this money in this record yeah i feel like it it made the experience of being and taking pictures like kind of less fun for everybody and then yeah cause, and so originally just like I think Noah had had enough and was like I, I gotta stop doing this it's, uh-huh. um, but yeah it was great I mean I love you know those guys and yeah we'll probably hopefully play with them again at some point um, but that was that yeah so and then I mean this so this is 2005 so that's when we can loop back to the whole renegade thing was ramping up, huh? Was it? Yeah, that started to get to be a little bit more of a thing. 
then uh, like in 2007 Renegade opened the shop on Division Street so I was kind of again you know not really involved in the day to day but like kind of behind the scenes would be helping out here and there um, on little stuff or projects or like kind of painting or anything that kind of needed to happen um, so that was kind of like a busy time during that time like also Renegade started to add like first San Francisco and Los Angeles and then uh, you know more and more cities as time went on so it just became like even though it might I still wasn't like working there officially or getting paid for it it was like, <laughs> the wouldn't I mean which was like by choice you know I was like trying to run this screen printing studio um, and kind of make that work but that was just sort of like getting less and less work and then essentially yeah. like I, my studio was in the butcher shop Oh yeah, I'm sure you're. I'm sure you've been to, but like at the many time times. That, yeah, right around right around like 2010, and I was on the top floor. The the business like they had to redo the entire roof, and so for like month after month after month, the whole the whole top floor was just rained down with black soot from mm. the tar that was on the roof, and so it just had to shutter the entire thing, and it was just like that's not so good for know. screen prints, I think. <laughs> oh yeah like coal coal dust it was just full of coal dust and like it was not only just that horrible to breathe but it was just like you know yeah you'd have to be in there under a tarp or some shit it was, it was fucking now crazy. that was your industrial art period <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. like, i had gotten into like yeah it was like at that point like i was like really obsessed with like uh kind of ph photographic screen prints and like, oh. making these kind of photographic screen prints on wood and like had was doing the uh kind of like screen printed paintings mm -hmm. um like kind of using a like a single gestural shape on a very small screen kind of as a brush um, mm -hmm. where you would just like make you know just like repeating shapes and color on top of one thing to kind of create abstract images um but yeah so it was like a mess, yeah, it was a terrible, terrible time. We kind of killed the studio practice for like a really good amount of time. And then, uh, you know, it was just sort of like, I, you know, I can't pretend that this is a real business at this point. Um, yeah. And you were doing that, all that, that studio was just you by yourself, right? Or did you have, do you have a, anybody working with you or? Uh, I worked with a guy named Richie Bearden, who started off as my intern, um, and he was just like a kid who just moved to Chicago from Atlanta, and he had known or was friends with um, Henry Owings from Chunklet Magazine. Okay, who, I've heard of that. Yeah, he, he was like a, he, Henry is a guy who went to University of Pittsburgh, and so he was kind of hooked up with all the indie rock scene in Pittsburgh and so I kind of knew him and he was also from Atlanta and then this knew this kid and he was like trying to help him out and I was like yeah I could use an intern so I worked with him for a few years and he was great uh, great printer great like you know he, he made cool prints of his own and uh, but then like would take care of like kind of the nuts and bolts part of like mm. a lot of the printing um, or we would do it together uh, but yeah, it was just, uh, I, it was, I don't remember how long it took, but it was just sort of like work slowed down so much that it was just sort of like, what, like no bands were 
spending any money and it was kind of like there was a there was a time at which like i think in the early 2000s up till like 2008 2010 like posters were advertisements that mm-hmm. like there was like a scene of people who were making posters but they were making them more like for actual poster things like it was mm-hmm. actually going to be hung up around town or at record yeah. stores or in clubs and there was this kind of like this spark of interesting creative people who were making all these different styles of posters that were meant specifically for that purpose and like you know they weren't really like making any money yeah very much money like designing those it was more of just like when i started doing that it was just like more you know i happened to be i guess fortunate because i had my own band to make posters for so i had like mm-hmm. i was the client and i was right. like oh i can i can literally do whatever i want and make it as weird or not weird as i can um, but like yeah that whole scene back then was the way that it was it was like you didn't really make a ton of money making a poster for like an indie rock band you're just sort of like doing it almost to be like it'll give me an opportunity to like do something else so that's my that was my mindset at the time mm. but i think at a certain point like screen printed posters they were like starting to become like kind of like hot and cool and like bigger bands started buying them and using them basically mm-hmm. as merch which i think is like what you know, a lot of modern people who still do gig poster work a lot are just like they're making posters that bands sell as merch. They're never going to be hung up in like a bathroom or like a oh yeah go on the on the club wall. So it's like the the scene shifted, and like you know there are still amazing poster artists doing amazing work that you know you can go to Flatstock at Pitchfork and see like so much cool shit. Mm-hmm. But it's like the the purpose is different, so it's like, and there is more money involved, and of course, like you know, people artists deserve to get paid. Um, but it's weird that it's like the original, like you know, kind of punkness of like being able to create, a, you know, eighteen by twenty four image and kind of hang it up around town, um, is not the same. Well, yeah, it became becomes like a, a luxury item. Then, yeah, it's a it's a you know it's a T-shirt. It's a fancy T-shirt that you know, right. You can buy a T-shirt for fifty bucks, or you can buy a poster for fifty bucks in a tube. But um, the appreciation is cool. Like it's it's definitely not bad. But like, you know, I haven't. I made a poster last year, and it was the first poster I'd done in really long time and it was just because it was for Califone and mm. uh, a choreographer named Robin Mineko oh cool like who doing doing modern dance collaboration at Talia Hall and I was like oh I saw that uh, post I remember seeing that poster and I knew I knew instantly who had done it yeah oh that's awesome yeah I didn't yeah, I, like, I didn't make it to that show but I no I now that you mentioned it I, I remember that poster I was like yeah, I, it was a kick ass show was it? Yeah, it was great. I mean, it was like Califone and these dancers playing in the round. Like mm. they had written, you know, they had written the dance piece to Echo Mine. You know, just a great, yeah, fucking killer, killer Califone record. Yeah, I think I have that record actually. Yeah, it's. I, I like when they have those in the round shows at Talia. I saw. I saw. Oh, yeah. Super I, cool. I saw a really good. Uh, what are they called? Oh man, it just f- flew out of my head. 
the, the name of this band from from Providence. Uh, Lightning Bolt. Lightning Bolt. Yeah. <laughs> Earlier this year, it was really good. Oh man, I I have not seen Lightning Bolt, and I really want to. Like I missed I missed the ability to see them back then, and I've seen like on. I said, well, this is my second. Yeah, and you know they've been going a long time, uh, mm-hmm. but the first time I saw them was at the bottle, and it was so excruciatingly loud that I didn't know. And they set up in the back of the bar, or like. Well, they were on the they were on the floor in in at the bottle, like right, yeah. like in front of the stage, kind of. Uh, okay. But I was it was packed, and I was all the way against the piano, against the as far away from them as you could be. And it was mm. just ir- it was maybe the loudest show I've ever been to. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's their jam. But in at Talia Hall, it, it totally works because the sound has places to go, you know, and it floats yeah. up because it's a, such a big open space. Mm-hmm. And it was really cool because I I watched probably most of the show from the balcony, so I could see. And it was like one of the first shows where people felt comfortable enough to like really move around it was just a sea of young people it was like an all-ages show oh it, man that's awesome it was really cool and yeah, i saw brian case and his kid and his kid there his kids got a really cool band have you ever, have you heard F- oh lifeguard is fucking yeah. amazing yeah yeah <laughs> uh, yeah i'm a huge i'm a huge i'm a huge fax fan yeah. Um, and then yeah i knew that asher was playing in that band and just checked it out i was just like oh my god they're so yeah. badass, and like now, like them and like another high school band that are horse girl are related to them. I think they just got signed to Matador. And like, yeah, I was at, I was at that record release show that the horse girl record release show and, and I life, haven't lifeguard seen them yet, but I, uh, yeah, I, I want to see them super bad. I I think that they're making you know super fucking uh, it's super inspiring to hear that band. <laughs> I'm like not surprised. It's like Brian's going to like tour manage their tour. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I don't know how like how one could be like more kind of a proud parenty than yeah tour tour managing for your fucking sixteen year old son's band who were like <laughs> yeah you know, I think he made a comment once when Lifeguard got like it was like Apple Music of the day or something yeah. like that and he posted something like he's like I kind of feel like my kid has just like eclipsed my music career in like yeah. one day. No, he's very, very proud of his kid. And it's fun. Yeah, when the recording him and I did, it, we talked about that a lot. How funny it is that, you know, his kid went into the family business, and you're supposed to rebel, yeah. but like he did, he just went and did what dad does, you know. Well, you and know, it was he's got really cool hair, so I think that it he does. Yeah, he. I think he's gonna do just fine <laughs> that kid in that yeah. business. <laughs> I was like, I was like, oh, you're a good-looking kid who looks like he's in the MC5, and it's 2022. Yeah, good you, for you, bud. Good for you, you, buddy. You know, actually, one of the coolest thing about that show at the Talia, the the Kitty Rock show, was like in the merch area, they had they had like everybody. They all make zines, like old-fashioned zines, like Xerox zines, not like computer-designed oh. zines, you know. Like, I mean, that's just that's like what the they're into, those kids. You know, that's so. Yeah, I mean, I I guess you know I've heard other people say it, so it's not an original thought. But I guess the kids 
the kids are all right. Like especially the younger kids. I feel like they're you know you know I hear parents that I know who have kids who are like now becoming teenagers and they're like no they're pretty cool like but it's interesting like these are the kids who've like I mean you know you could still be a millennial and be born in like 1982 and like still have like a you know an experience of the 90s or something like that whereas like like a Gen Z kid who's just turning 21 right now has like been like full on internet the entire time yeah and I and that to me is like the you know, it's like the the kind of the, the current source of everything good and bad in the world. Like every, you know, it's the, it's the great binder of uh, disparate communities in the world. So it's like all the good communities that come together because of it versus all the bad people that come together. You know, it's, it's causing all the problems and also solving all the problems mm-hmm. at the same time. So it's like these are the first kids who are like, Ever since they were like six or seven, or just like, well, you just Google it. Like, you know, yeah, you, know, you just fucking Google it. I don't know. You just like, you can figure out, you're like, oh, I, I know how to self figure out how to do yeah. just about anything, you know, and like no one else had that at their fingertips. So it's, it's interesting to see that they're like going back to like, you know, punk stuff from the 1990s. Yeah, I think there's a real hunger with them because everything is not, not palpable, not tangible. They have a real hunger for this other stuff that they just, they never had experience with. Or had, it's never been part of their reality. You know, things like yeah, scenes. Yeah, fucking t- tapes. Tapes. Yeah. yeah, tapes are really big. Tapes are big. Yeah. yeah, tapes are big. And, like, you know, I, I appreciate that. I fucking grew up on tapes. Like yeah. I, you know, that was like, that was, I didn't start buying vinyl records until I was, like, you know, 18 or 19. Mm. Like, everything else was, you know, I had just, like, fucking big box of tapes and i still have i still have all my tapes i recently sold all of my cds yeah um just because i was just like i'm never I, I i don't even have a cd player why do i have these yeah i don't have a cd i have an external drive that you know i can i can import a, a cd into my laptop you know yeah so, so I, have, I have the capacity to to listen to this to, to to get a, stuff off of them but yeah i don't have a I don't have a CD player, but I did recently have to invest in a tape player because they're back in such a big way. <laughs> I've been I've been thinking about it. I don't have a tape player right now either, but I'm like, how? Like, I would even buy like a fucking like Walkman size. They'll probably come out with like the tape Walkman pretty soon. Like, they'll be. Uh, you can get you can get one. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's what. That's probably going to get it. You totally can. Up to my stereo. Yeah, because yeah. Well, then, yeah, I have a, there's a guy in Kansas that started a, like a tape and band camp label just for spoken word and poetry. And he put out a, like, I did a cassette with him. So I have a cassette, uh, but he sells, he sells these, like there's these cheapo kind of like portable cassette players for all the people that don't have cassette players. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I. You know, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna buy like a a component cassette deck. Like, so I'm gonna be making dubs. I actually yeah, did. Well, I found one on eBay, like a two cassette, oh, and it just it fits. With you know, I have a I have a pretty new, pretty new stereo receiver, which is primarily just to play records. You know, but uh, I I went and got yeah I, I broke down and got a the cassette deck. It was because because of uh, this guy, uh, 
Do you know Cooper Crane? Do you know I Cooper? know his name. I don't think I know him. Personally. He's in he's in Bitch and Bajas, and he he does Cave, and he's a big he's a big record. You know, he records a lot of music. Oh, okay, yeah, no, I'm a big Bitch and Bajas fan. So he, him and my friend Bill McKay made this tape, and it's he recorded it on tape, and it's only available on tape, so it's never touched digital at all. Oh wow, that's awesome! And that's the thing. I that, love I love the theme song, the Bill McKay theme song for. The oh show. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's an old, that's old. That's from that's from an old band of his called Darts and Arrows. That I actually did a I did a painting for like when he was self putting out CDs before he got on Drag City and stuff. That's yeah, cool. I go way back with Bill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, so, yeah, that's... So, yeah, C- Cooper made me get a, a stereo de- component for, for, for my stereo or whatever, a cassette well, thing. Well, that's cool. If you got yeah. a cassette, you got to have a cassette player. Yeah. That's yeah. my new tape. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, have a new t- yeah, it's pretty funny. Well, now, yeah, there's such a problem with the backlog with the pressing plants for records that people are going back to making CDs again because they're, like, backlogged, like, a year or two to put out vinyl, you know? That's crazy. What, what, uh, do you think CDs are going to come back? I hope not. I hate them. Well, because I just <laughs> sold all my CDs, Dimitri. I, I just sold them, so. <laughs> I, I don't think anything's going to come back. good news? Well, you know, you get, you have, you know, you can get good, you have digital music, you know. I don't know. That's good, yeah. I've I've talked to. I stream, uh, I stream shit and buy records. Um, yeah. Only like the only physical music I buy these days is records, but it's like now I'm kind of getting to the point where I have kind of no more record space. So if I oh, buy really? records, I have to I have to sell records. I I do that. I'm very strict. I love records, but I go every couple of months. I go through my records and whichever ones I'm not listening to, I take to the record store and turn in for a credit for more records. You know? Yeah, that's what that's what I did. I was just like, I actually, I have so much credit at the store. Oh, really? That I just I keep forgetting to use. But like, yeah. It's a, Do you have a cool cool store near you, or oh, in man, Chicago? Uh, in in. Uh, Grand Rapids, oh. which is like 40, 45 minutes from here. There's a store called Vertigo, oh, okay. which is killer. Yeah. Store. Like, it's very Reckless-esque. Um, hmm. But they have, like, you know, new and used stuff. But, like, their new section, like, you know, goes as deep as just, like, you know, any sort of, like, dark techno, like, mm-hmm. like aggressive noise stuff. They'll have, like... Yeah, you know all the new all the new Deus Records stuff and all like the new like just like you know just stuff that's like really out there, but then like really good selections of like pretty much anything. Um, but yeah, you're a nice owner and everything. Yeah, yeah. Oh shit! Hold on, my headphones just dead. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're back on. Is it okay? They're still. Working. Yep. But yeah, Vertigo Records in Grand Rapids is a great place. Cool. Yeah, that's. Uh, Otherwise, I'll go to I'll go to Reckless when I come to Chicago. Right. Yeah, I have one. I have one. Uh, uh, a record store in Pilsen that I go to regularly called Pinwheel. They're nice there. I like to give them business, but yeah, I go and trade in my records and get other records. 
it feels it feels good. It's minimizing, you know, mm-hmm. when you trade in five records and maybe you buy one record. So are, are you playing music these days? Are you doing any kind of musical yeah, type stuff? Um, I I guess I've spent the last four year four or five years um, just kind of making music by myself for the first time and mm-hmm. uh, taught myself a little bit about home recording and kind of have a studio set up at my house. So I've been just experiment. Like I guess you know, like I said before, a lot of my band experiences were just kind of like a really collaborative. Uh, songwriting experience and we kind of just like came up with a lot of the songs as a group and from jamming and just like you know working out like parts that we thought we liked um so i've been you know just trying songwriting for the first time and i'm kind of getting to the point where i i I mean i'm at the point where i have about an album's worth of music cool um yeah I'm, i'm really excited about it it's uh it's um you know, I'm hoping to finish it. It's mostly just like I have a lot of like uh, vocal and lyrical parts to add to it. Mm. Um, but the songs themselves are kind of like mostly done. So I'm, it, it's taking me forever just because like with Renegade and travel and also just my creative process when it comes to singing and writing lyrics is like just painfully slow and really awful. Um <laughs> But, or just like it's the hardest part, you know. It's like, hey, it's your process, you know. <laughs> yeah, it just takes a long time. So I, you know, I still have like a few songs that I'm hoping to get kind of finalized in the next couple months, hopefully. And then I want to kind of reach out to some people to start a band about around it. Oh, cool. So, yeah, I mean it's uh, that's that's my plan. Um, I want to, you know, I, I imagine it'll probably be like a self-released kind of thing, but I at least want to put to, you know, it's like I know a lot of really good musicians, and I want to put together a band of people to play the songs. I think they'll, I don't know, I think it could be at least fun and also a good reason to hang out with my friends. Yeah, that, that's a that's a good reason to to start a band. Seems to me. Yeah, I mean, it's like, I, at this point, like, you know, I'm 48, and, like, I know that I've been in lots of bands that are really fun that nobody cares about for a long right. time, so I have, like, very, very low, but, like, I have a very low expectations, but I also have, like, this kind of very positive attitude about the freeing nature of low expectations. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is, if... If nobody cares, then you can do whatever you want in a way, you know? Yeah, if you're only making music for your friends or for yourself, uh, and it's just sort of like, yeah, I mean, I'm happy with it. I don't, you know, it's sort of like, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't, like, I think in the previous bands that I've been in, like, it was always like, you know, you make a record and you really, really hope that a label has any interest in putting it out. Yeah. And, you know, and it's like, I got lucky enough to have that happen a few times, and I just like then I'm just like, I don't know. I'm not, I don't, it's like, I don't want to be self-defeating in any way about it because I am like, I am actually excited about the music I'm making. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's like, I just don't, you know, I'd be happy if I was able to like put it out on Bandcamp and like maybe even like make a small run final pressing. Yeah, that's the thing is it's, the good thing about all this technology is it's never been easier, you know, for people with, something to actually say to 
of delivery systems, you know, <laughs> to make yeah, it happen. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. I, I love buying, you know, I think a pro, an, an, a disordered, well, a large quantity of music I end up buying is just like my friends' projects and yeah. people I know or a lot of Chicago things. And um, it's always good. Like, I love supporting people I know who are like super talented. So is is this is it going to be called Matt Daly or will there be like a super secret? I think there'll probably be a superhero name. I'm not name. gonna say it out. I'm not gonna say it out loud. Oh, okay. Uh, because because I haven't uh, announced anything about right. it yet, so I just want I want to jinx anything. No, no, un- uh, understandable. <laughs> yeah, I like I like I mean I, th- I I like the idea of having a name just because it uh, it makes it kind of more. It's not to take away from, you know, being a person, but it's just like kind of like more fun, I guess. You know, it's like if you could have a band, why not have like a fun band name? Yeah. Yeah, for Honey sure. Honey Roasted Peanuts. Honey Roasted Peanuts. So that's what it's – I think you just let the cat out of the bag. Yeah. So the when is the Honey – When is the Honey, honey Roasted Peanuts uh, four-disc four box set coming out? <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's in post-production. They get a, somebody's got to add marimba and then all these, these birds to do the bird sounds. So it's like, uh, well, you got Jasper there. He's Jasper's got to be on it, right? Yeah. He finally fell asleep. I don't know. You know what, Man, he, he got yeah. worn out. I, I, he's just glad we're not talking about lungfish anymore. Yeah. He's like, God damn that Dan Higgs. <laughs> <laughs> Well, cool. I, I I look look forward to hearing that whenever that appears. Uh, that, that honey. I mean, I put I, me on the know, pre-order list for the honey roasted peanuts record. <laughs> I will I will put you on the the pre-order list. I you know I hope that it's uh, something that I can kind of get finalized this year. You know, maybe not like to the point of like actually yeah. playing shows, but I want to be playing shows next year. Um, That's so cool. We'll see. And you've got you've got so, an art art studio too there or at home or at home yeah I mean I do I do I slowly kind of put that together over the last bunch of years um, so I have like a hand uh, like a hand pull screen print like ah. table drying rack and like I, I have like a bunch of screens um, but I've just like I've had it all kind of like together so like now i have an actual print studio here mm. but i've been sort of i've been working on this music project for so long that i've kind of committed that i'm like i can't start making prints until i finish this stupid music project <laughs> <laughs> so i'm like i'm like oh it's taking me so long just to do this one thing like i gotta i gotta get you know i have to focus a little bit more and so if i know that if i start getting into doing more prints which i, I do want to do and i'm excited to like, just sort of like you know i can only do one thing at a time well, at least you won't have to search around for somebody to get do your album cover. You got that covered at least. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, I I like the idea of doing something uh, interesting for like a small run of albums, or like you know, making them kind of more handmade, or yeah, I think that would be fun. Like more, the more tactile, the better. And I don't know. I got a lot of prints. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, you could do, you could do a different cover for each one. No, that would be too much. <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I uh, another thing I 
actually came to realize that I'm doing this weekend is uh, I was having a conversation with my friends who run Sonnenzimmer. Oh, yeah. Uh, and uh, I think we're actually going to publish a book of my posters and prints from the early aughts into the mid-aughts, I guess. Wow, that's exciting. Uh, that That's pretty year, cool. Which is... Which is amazing, you know. We're just gonna. I think we're gonna do do a Kickstarter and yeah, just uh, you know, I have all this work that doesn't really. I'm I'm really excited about mostly just like getting it documented, yeah, um, professionally. Just because like you know, at this point like I have all these prints. I'm like, yeah, I have got this print that I or a photograph of this poster that I took with like a like a f- five megapixel camera in 2006 mm-hmm. that. It's just like, yeah, that was as, yeah, it's about as good as it is. <laughs> so it's like I need, to, I need, like, getting, like, actual photos taken of the work is going to be fun. Um, yeah, I, so. Yeah, I started documenting things later in my, you know, quote-unquote art career. So there's a bunch of early stuff that's just on the lowest resolution possible, you know, or, yeah, like, barely. Yeah, I don't they're... think you're allowed, to, I, don't, I don't think you have to say quote-unquote art career. You, you're an art. <laughs> Even our career. <laughs> I, I got a something. I don't know what I've got exactly, but <laughs> well, I you know I I applied to be in in the uh, in the Christmas Renegade Fair, so maybe oh, maybe good. that maybe that could happen for me, you know. <laughs> oh, we'd be happy to have you. Yeah, I can't. I can't do the September one because I'm I'm doing the Printer Row Lit Fest. That it's the same weekend, stupidly, but. <laughs> oh, that sucks. What uh, what have you done that before? I yeah, I did it last year. It's yeah, it's just a, you know, street fair, just all books. It's, it's books. Is it good for you? Is it like you know? Do you La- get a lot of? Like, last year was good. Yeah. yeah. So and it's. I mean, I, I share, it's like tents and you share like, you know, get like half a table and it's a bunch of other small presses, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's it's pretty affordable. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's all right. I mean, yeah. <laughs> now now that, you know, there... none of them thinking about it, it's just that prospect of, sitting there and smiling at people for two days and I start having second thoughts, you know, but it takes, I always do. (laughs) Yeah. It it is like one of the hardest parts of being, you know, doing this event. And like, I think, you know, you either, you are either that kind of person or you find a way to get around that and still make it work. Yeah. I'm totally not that kind of person, but some, you know, like I make myself do it (laughs) because it's, yeah, because I need to, and you know, if you if if you're aware of having that need, that's that's it's at least you know half of the battle right there. Because some people are just completely clueless, and they're like, "Oh, I didn't I didn't do very well at this event. I've been looking at my phone all day." I know. And like I, I'm just like, oh, I'm just I've just got my head down, and I'm like, look like a yeah, I'm... sad. Yeah, I've got my head down, and I'm watching whatever wrestling videos or you know, like... yeah. Oh man, you're into wrestling? <laughs> yeah, no, no. <laughs> yeah, uh, no. Either, yeah, why? Why did? Why didn't I sell anything? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like you have to at least say hi to people who come by. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's. I mean, it's something. You know, it kicks. It helps that you know, like, you know, working. You know, retail and service industry since I was a child. You know, I, I can fake it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I, I can lie. Yeah. It's harder to do with your own when you're selling your own stuff. A lot harder than when you're selling a drink or a or a meal or something or you know, yeah. some, somebody else's shit. But uh, you, you haven't do... bar or you're not bartending now, are you? No. No, I yeah, I, I filled in at the Rainbow like a month ago or something. That was weird. That was interesting. Oh. <laughs> was it super crowded? No, no, it wasn't crowded. They just had an emergency, like when some somebody got sick, so they needed somebody last second, oh. you know. Oh, that's pretty cool. That's yeah, cool. so that I mean, you know, that could happen again. Uh, that's about the only place that I would consider doing it. Yeah, uh, you're like uh, you're like the celebrity uh, guest bartender. <laughs> I just, you know, I'm old and weird, and I don't want to work in a place with TVs or like credit cards. You know? <laughs> Oh, well, and I want to I want to work in a place out. where I can play the music, you know. Oh yeah, yeah that that would be. A, I mean, that sounds like fun actually. It is, yeah. It's it's sort of fun. Uh, yeah. So yeah, if they asked me to, I'd do that again. But uh, I'm I'm a, I'm getting by. I I don't you know, no no complaints here. Really. Well, cool. Should we cut this off? Uh, I mean, but, I think, uh, what has it been, an hour and a half? Yeah. I mean, we could cut it off. I think that that's probably a good time. I think that, you know, I th who could listen to, to me talking to you longer? Well, who knows? Who knows? What? Uh, I mean, or it's even me, like, I can't stand the sound of my own talking, so if I... A lot, a lot of people have, yeah. A lot of people feel that way. Um, I, I've not for a second been offended by the sound of your talking, so I've enjoyed it. Oh, <laughs> well, I, pre yeah, I appreciate that. And that's all that counts, right? Because uh... <laughs> yeah, and it, it's, I just I can't really hear my weird tone in my earphones that well. So, see, it's a win-win. <laughs> cool. Well. Thank you, thank you so much for doing this, and uh, I'll, I'll let you know when when this posts, so you can send it out to all your fans, and lo loved ones. <laughs> thank you for inviting me. It's been really fun. Actually, yeah, my, you know, I haven't had a. This is my first uh, podcast interview. Oh really? Yeah. I think. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, I'm I'm honored to be to to break the ice. You're gonna be. Well, you're gonna, you you're gonna catch the bug and just be on them all all the time now. Now I'm a Cajun professional. Well, you you you, you gotta you gotta ramp it up like once the publicity machine for what was it honey roasted peanuts? You know when when that gets yeah, going, that's, that's definitely not gonna be the name. But you're gonna be on the press junket the, all the time. You know. <laughs> I don't know that I have that in me. That's why I'm part. You know, part of me is just sort of like, yeah, I'm I, I'm gonna do. <laughs> I gotta do. Maybe I'll make posters for it. Yeah. Hang them up. Uh, <laughs> That's like my lifelong dream of like having an art opening and hiring an actor to be me. You know. Oh my god! Want, yeah, I always wanted amazing. to do that. I mean, it's been done, it's but a piece like, of performance. Oh, it is. yeah, it's it's definitely been done, but uh, I would totally do that. Yeah, it'd be worth it. 
You could just attend as a guest. Yeah. I, I did do that for a couple of book launches. I got other people to read from my book. It was at the Rainbow. Oh. It was really cool. Uh, hmm. It was actually, yeah, the first, the two cab books before before All Hack, uh, there was two other cab books that I sort of combined and re-edited into, into that All Hack book that you have. But, uh, you know, I got all, all these people to go up on the stage at Rainbow and read, and I could just sit back and drink. And, uh, uh, that know. sounds great. Also, like, surreal. Yeah. It's fun. Huh. Yeah, I mean, I got friggin', I got Irvin Welsh to go up there and read from my book on the stage of the rainbow, which was really fun. <laughs> That's pretty badass. Yeah. <laughs> on the tiny stage behind the bar? Yeah, yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> That's, it's, it's on the resume there. Got Irvin Welsh to read a page or two from my book. On the stage yeah. of a local bar. It's on my CV. Yeah. <laughs> Career highlight. It's been all downhill yeah. since then. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to finishing it. It is like a super easy, fast read. Good. So far. I, I, I hear it's a, it, it's a good one to read on the toilet, on the throne, because it's small, oh, really? you know, a couple pages at a time. So it's, yeah. Well, see, I'm not, a, I'm not a huge reader. I do enjoy reading when I do it, but, like, I, I find that I have to, like, force myself to read. So one of my new, my new projects is to try to force myself to read at least 20 minutes a day. Cool. Well, I went, I'm going <laughs> to make, make, make you have, a, like, a, an endorsement and make you tape a commercial for me. I'm not, this is Matt Daly. I'm not much of a reader, but when I do read, I pick up a... I like to read. I like to read a stack of books by Dimitri Semler. <laughs> yeah, preferably on the toilet. Yeah, right. Yeah, no. No. Uh, I, I wouldn't dis- besmirch. I wouldn't besmirch your literature with with my toilet stuff. People do some of their deepest thinking in you know in that yeah, room of the house. Yeah, I, I, maybe that's TMI. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'll talk to you later, Matt. Thanks, Dimitri. Bye.